Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hey Chase, how are we doing today? I am well. Cato uh, now is like staring around at people and, and you know what he's looking at. He smiles now. Um, so he also has a real uh, habit of slow blinking whenever I'm I think I'm doing, he thinks I'm doing something dumb, which kind of pisses me off. (laughs) Just Um, stares at you like, yeah, he's got a way to go. Wow, dad. Uh, You know, (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, But, you know, sorry, I missed last episode. Cyrus, thanks for covering down. Man, admittedly, the Russ into Joel conversations have sent me into a bit of a tizzy. I'm questioning lots of different things. So our chop up of this on the back edge of, uh, Joel's second conversation is going to uh, is going to be is going to be shot in all directions. Yeah, yeah, I know you uh, were dealing with some family stuff. Not dealing with family stuff, but had family in town. It's always good. Uh, was it has it been a good visit so far? In laws are better than outlaws, as I heard on the <laughs> <laughs> course today. Yeah, so no, you know what? Uh, bar. <laughs> it's been really nice. I got to golf with father in law, uh, Tony Zanata. Um, we need to get him on probably for a conversation uh, w- with dad as well. Um, but you know what? It's been good. Samantha and I got, oh, I went to, dude, my last little piece. Um, having them here enabled me to go to a city council meeting for the first time yesterday. Big fan. Um, everything from the you know local jewelry store owner on our main street to an old man who, you know, to quote him, I don't know what I'm doing here, um, to... <laughs> <laughs> to a second grader who was at making an, you know, an uh, advocation for sidewalks to connect so she could go to walk to her whole way to school and not walk on the side of the road. So really good um, deal. And you know, and our mayor is the longest serving mayor in Texas history in towns or cities above 55,000 dude's been doing it over 40 years. So yeah, nice. a little we, spoil system action there. You know what? I mean, he's <laughs> got the uh, grapevine machine. Um, <laughs> And he's been crushing it and doing a good job. That's why, I mean, it's why he's still doing it. So that was a really cool experience. We've been telling people to get more involved locally. We've got some city council school board elections coming up at the end of the month. And so I've had the school board and city council meetings uh, schedule on my fridge. And we finally were able to cross the threshold last night. That was kind of cool. No, that's very cool. Glad you got the opportunity to do that. Strongly encourage anyone to at least go to one city council meeting, see how the uh, sausage is made, so to speak, of uh, local local government. But all that said, uh, speaking of local government, we're uh, going to get into uh, the rest of our talk with Joel and see what he has to say about uh, how cities should function. So without further ado, let's do it. God, first of all, he hates empires because I said this in the sermon, empires... People don't build up the greatest predator in the world, right? Animal wise, does not go after other predators or other strong animals, right? Lions, 
tigers, they usually go after what the sick or the old or the young. Yeah, they pick off one from the you know a weakling. And so that's what empires do. And and the Ninevites that he was going to, that's what they were. They were powerful neo. The, they were the precursor to the Assyrian Empire that we know now, the neo Assyrians, and they they were oppressing, right? And Jonah literally went there and said, "Hey, if you don't stop, God's going to destroy you." And that's true because God hates oppression, right? And we live in a society where if there's a there's way too many poor people, there's way too many schools that are just terrible. Right. And if you think that this is the greatest society that ever existed and you're just satisfied with it and you're fighting to, to keep the status quo, you're fighting to keep oppression going. These are things that we know. We know systemic racism is real. We know that um, housing is racist. We know that we have a problem in our justice system. We know we have way too many homeless people on the street or way too many people that are getting evicted right now during COVID. And if you think this is great, your, your heart doesn't hurt or mourn for this then you're just participating in up, upholding oppression in that way. And so it's something, it's hard to admit. It's hard to admit as an American, I'm an American, I love America, right? But I'm, I, I can't be satisfied with this. I can't have a, a Christ-like mind or heart and think that this society is okay. I, they, yeah, and and uh, on top of that, I think we'd be remiss to, uh, to not note that yesterday was the 18th anniversary, anniversary of the start of the Iraq war. Um, which is the, the, you know, foreign expression of our, our oppression. Right. Um, and you know, that's, uh, I, I don't know. It's something I've been thinking well, quite a bit, a lot in, in terms of that, you know, the, this idea that if, if you think that we've gotten all, all of this, all of these riches that we have in this country because of just our inherent goodness, um, you know, while ignoring the, you know, the, the actual facts, whether it be, you know, the fruit plantations in South America or mines in Haiti and Africa or, you know, or, you know, our, our stuff we've done in all over the world. And to think that we got all this and you're if you're a Christian and to believe that we've done all these sins and that there will be no comeuppance, no consequences for those sins is to me pretty anti-biblical. So this really un it gets to the heart of a lot of issues. I th- almost our view on America's greatness. Cause we, like I said, when I'm at a multiracial church, I'm really proud of. And uh, we, we wrestle with issues very imperfectly. And when we were talking a, a while ago about just taking a knee before George Floyd and his murder and, and how people reacted to that. And when I think uh, some of my brothers and sisters in Christ here, America isn't great. They hear that the, founders didn't have a good intent, although many were imperfect. I think they hear that the sacrifices that people have made in wars, particularly soldiers, were not great. And they feel disrespected or they feel that legacies are tarnished. And I think there's a lot of uh, my brothers and sisters who have made idols out of our um, uh, citizenship and identity. And so we pray for that. Uh, I certainly am constantly working through that. Uh, But how do we how do you, Joel, um, respect the sacrifices and where we've come and, and take the good with the bad? Because I think there's an enormous also amount of fear out there from Christians as well when we talk about how America is not great. And we were talking about rewriting history. This is a loaded subject. And I think it's one that Christians need to really wrestle with, and one, with God, but two, with brothers and sisters in a loving, respectful way. So I, there's a lot on my mind right now. So when you think about that, if you think back to like um, Malcolm X, or you think about Martin Luther King, you think about 
Frederick Douglass. They're continuously not making up a new kind of America. They're asking America to live up to the ideals, which was founded upon, mm. right? Um, even, even we can say the intent, right? We, uh, we have to admit, historically, the pilgrims came over here to oppress, right? They, call, they wanted religious freedom to oppress because the church in England said, you can't treat people like this. So they left to oppress. But well, yeah, well, they were too hardcore religious for them. They were like, right, you right. guys are crazy. <laughs> we, can't, <laughs> we can't own slaves. We can't. No, no. So, but when you, but like, look at all of those people. Go back and read Frederick Douglass. Go back. Like, they're just saying, hey, you wrote this constitution. We just want you to treat us the same way you wrote it. Right? It, um, all men are created equal. We want it, um, all men should have the right to pursue happiness. And 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 what does that mean? You can go back and read Locker, Hobbes, and all of that. And all of that leads to the fact that the way we currently have our society is not the way it was intended. Um, we continuously allow like our, our greed and our capitalism to get in the way of that. Um, and our racism too, to get in the way of just having a society where everyone is uplifted, where everyone is not, where people aren't crushed by the margins, right? Because right now the system works for a few at the cost of the masses, right? They're just, we have the ability, right? Every time I hear that $1.9 trillion on a failed jet, right? But if we spend $1.9 trillion domestically- F-23, right? baby, same right, cost right, right. as the COVID bill. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> right? One, we don't even use it anymore. We're, we're putting it out of commission. So. It never it never worked. It never worked. If yeah. you use that $1.9 trillion domestically, infrastructure, the amount of jobs it would have provided, right? The, uh, the better schools we could have had, right? We know we have the resources. So the question really is, why, is, why, why don't we? When I see socialism, right? This, what did Jesus say? Uh, where your heart lies, your treasures lie also, or the other way around. Like where your treasures lie, your heart lies also, right? Socialism yeah. puts the heart of our society on the people. Right. So that our treasures, our money, our, our resources get put into people. Right. You no longer you're an investment banker. Right. Uh, yeah. Work in an investment bank. That's right. What's the one thing? What's the one way to make if you wanted to increase profit at your company? What's the quick increase prices? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. What's the quickest way to increase revenue overnight? Uh, sell more. Cut workers. Right. Oh, sure enough. Yeah, right, 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 right. You don't want to say that because you have a heart, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have been known to cut uh, seven digits from the budget. Right. It's the quickest way. But it's because the heart of the business is not about the people. The heart of the business is about profit. Right. And I feel like if you take the heart of America and you put it on the people. Right. That's what socialism is to me. You start providing housing for everybody. You start providing uh, insurance and, and doctors and Medicare for everybody, right? You start investing capital in these small businesses, right? Because if American idealism is someone stepping out and doing it on their own, right? And taking that chance, you have no problem in investing in them, right? Like you, you have, you, you want everyone to go to a good school and be well-educated because then, you know, as a Christian one, they can read their Bible better and understand things better and help the whole world. But just to a better educated person is a happier person and a more productive person in our society, right? These things shouldn't be fought over. There shouldn't be things across the aisle that we're arguing about, right? Everyone should go to great schools, small businesses should be invested in, and there should be housing for everybody, right? So, no matter what that looks like. Joel, you, you're laying it down right now, but you said something <laughs> before we 
started that's got me puzzled. Um, yeah. I asked you if you'd listen to us. We would give us, you know, do you need our background? He's like, oh, no, no. I did my research on you guys. Like, I'm, you know, you said, I don't want to quote you miss exactly, but something like, I don't, you know, I'm not a very trusting person. <laughs> and so, and so when you say you want to invest in people, <clears throat> the, the capitalist or the capitalism in me goes, well, yeah, like we are uh, making profit out of people's greed, out of people's vanity. And um, that's not a bad structure in a sense because it's still moving economic activity forward in a sense and we certainly could use more socialist policies more humane treatment in that um like a self-interest um well understood as Tocqueville says um so can you tell me how or explain more about how we invest in people um even though that you know we know that some people are, are we're all sinful and some of us are lazy or some of us are greedy some, or some of us want power and want to lord it over people yeah so now i don't trust people because i'm an individual right right and um the bible says be crafty as a serpent and harmless as a dove yeah right so the way jesus. i right, what jesus said specifically and the way i do that uh is by understanding and by doing more research on people before i walk into a situation right um but our society does our government does not have the right to do that uh, our government should provide the same thing that it provides for everybody, to everybody. Everyone should have that chance. Um, so for me, I shouldn't be trusted. But since everyone pays into our society, everyone is here and a part of it, our government should provide the same thing across the board for everybody. Right? There's follow no up. Reason, I'll keep going. There's no reason in, in Boston, some schools are well-funded, well-staffed, and um, just um, amazingly just amazing there's no difference between them in a private school and other schools less than a mile away are not like that they're the exact opposite you wouldn't you wouldn't want to send your worst enemy to them so that's my that's that's where i draw the line like me i might not be trusting but our government should just provide for everyone right or provide equally or something kind of think yeah in like in in as you were talking earlier about investing in communities like we, I think we kind of abstract it out in a way and say, oh, if you're investing in communities, it's a, tr- it's a transaction between you and one entity or another person or whatever else. But it's literally like building ties that bind within the community. And the more of those that you do, the less you have to rely on your just intuition about whether or not you can trust someone. Because there's literally built in accountability into the system. You know, the more that you're dependent on people and people are dependent on you and you're both dependent on everyone around you, the more, you know, that, that trust or that, that uh, distrust is plays less of a factor. And I also feel like systems don't have to be perfect for us to change. Can't say like, well, let's just keep it the way it is because we haven't figured out the perfect system. Let's start changing. So there's more equality and then we'll, we can perfect it along the way. But I would also, you know, on a biblical theological level, in Acts, when the widows needed to eat, right, and 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 everyone was stopped, right? Like we have to stop and feed the widows. No one was like, "Hey, are, did the widows work hard their whole lives?" Or or this? No, it was it was known that the, the widows were at a need, right? And we were supposed to pro- provide that for them, right? Uh, and I feel like this, the widows uh, try pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Yeah, you're right, right. No oh, one. Well, I think so long as I think so long as they were the husband of, or the wife of just one husband, and then had like you know a, a track record of serving beforehand. But mm-hmm. keep going. But I'm saying like even to that, right? Someone could have said, well, like they should have saved, or they should have they should have had a retirement fund, or should society ever provided them a pension? Would that have been better, right? Or or just housing for elderly people, 
is uh, these are things we, we can do and we can afford right and i do feel like when you when you move away from constantly trying to find the person that doesn't deserve it you just find a whole plethora of people that you can just help right because because i feel like that's where we go like does this person deserve it who said who made you like you have to ask the question who made you worthy chase to deserve the life that you have right you have to ask yourself who made joel worthy to deserve the life that he had right um who made and who's, who's deciding that some bureaucrat somewhere you know it's this is not yeah. and, and and like yeah so i feel like and also to admit that there's this big difference between people a lot of the times too we have to agree that most people just want compassion most people just want to uh, live a live a uh, live a life where they can feel comfortable and secure right um if you talk about it like just purely political science it's like people follow laws because they want to feel safe right a man is willing to give up um his freedom to just do whatever he wants to feel safe so you don't have to worry about your survival at every moment you can walk up and down the street you can go eat at a restaurant you can drive a car you can have a job you can have a house right so that's that's like that that um that uh invisible contract that uh everyone makes with them in a, within a society right and our societies function um pretty well once people are provided for it's once people are like in the margins that you see a lot of problems the suburbs isn't, isn't filled with better people it's just filled with better provided for people um if someone asks you where does socialism work go to the suburbs where they have amazing schools amazing community centers pot no potholes in the streets um the police officers are friendly and nice and, and they drive nice cars and the infrastructure is nice businesses can apply for loans and get and get uh, all types of infrastructure provided for them like just go to beverly hills and you'll see socialism run amok right and somehow their <laughs> society is working pretty pretty good for them right hey, joel let me come back with a statement that i want you to counter with because i just want to this is in my mind and i I'm not sure whether i stand with it or not <clears throat> when you say things like that, I, I, I feel like the p- part of me and certainly many of my compatriots would say more access or, or, or more equal access to resources would fix sin or fix sinful problems. Because a lot of um, some of my Christian mentors, and I've got many who disagree with these mentors, but would say, you know, we're not going to be able to fix sin. So why would we try? Why we should just focus on Jesus? We should just focus on discipleship. And I hear you saying, well, the the the, the places with more crime um, don't have worse people. They don't have more sinful people, um, but more resources would fix the problem. So can you sort of unpack how maybe it's maybe it's a false dichotomy of wow gee you know what more research because i think what what uh, it's really hard to tease out i feel like a lot of christians myself included sometimes slip into this it's a sin problem it's not a funding problem and god can only fix a sin problem so we should only come at him with god not with funding funding solutions does that make sense yeah and I, I would first Biblically, you would go back to James 2, right? Faith without works is dead. Yeah, to tell someone to go to go forth and be clothed and not actually clothe them and feed them right. is wrong. That's a sin. If you want to go back to that, because that's a directive. That that those words are, are very are said very plainly. Um, and then two in 2008, the whole world almost crashed because of because of crime, and that wasn't done by poor people. That was done by an incredibly affluent class of people that were cheating 
and doing dishonest things behind closed doors. Enron was not done by people in the projects. Uh, these, you could go back to huge scandals, the Flint water crisis where they were literally poisoning people was not done by uh, poor people. These were affluent people. And also Flint had the money to fix the, um, the pipes correctly so that they wouldn't have poisoned those people. They just chose not to. So to say, see, once again, that's actually penal substitutionary atonement, what you're saying, not actually the gospel, because you're what we're trying to say is as a result of certain things, that's why you're in your, that's why you're in your state of being, right? And Job, the whole book of Job would go to the opposite of that. Um, uh, like the entire Bible would point to the opposite of that. We could even go to, to Joseph. People would have thought Joseph was in sin. He was getting beaten left for dead in jail. Well, I mean, yeah, Jesus said it the best about the blind man, neither this man or his parents. Right, right, right. So I, I feel like that, cause that's, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's, that's literally what you're describing it is, is penal substitutionary atonement, which is in our society. Cause it made it more palatable for us to live with slave masters. Um, and that's, that's a product of, of just excusing white supremacy and white guilt at that time because something had to be atoned for. And they were like, well, if you just live your life as an individual and you're okay, then we don't have to really punish these people or certain things don't have to happen to them. We'll just, we'll just move on in our society. So it's a long-winded way to get back to your question of exactly, hold on, say your question, your last part of your question again. It's the, we can only fix sin with Jesus. Therefore, we should only come at him with Jesus and only come at problems with Jesus because nothing else can fix sin. So when you talk about trying to fix it, a, a, a broken spiritual problem and a broken physical problem with only physical means, then it's the heart of man is sinful, Joel. And right. so you're never going to get there. Yeah, right, right. And so we're not, we're not exactly talking about a, a sin problem per se here. We're talking about an oppressed problem. Once again, go back to Jonah. He did not go to um, bring those to, uh, to follow and worship Yahweh. He brought them to stop oppressing people. And you're saying, so oh, I just want to clarify and, and maybe tease out something even more. You're saying we're not dealing with a, a sin problem. We're dealing with an oppression problem, comma. We're dealing with a, a cyclic poverty problem. Right. And that's the issue here. Right. And if you, let's fix those issues first, then we, and then come with Jesus or come with them at the same time. Right. Like, yeah. yes, the, the gospel is the most important thing to be spread along uh, across the globe and the world. We should be preaching the gospel to everyone as Christians that we know. But at the same time, if we're not providing for their needs and we're not helping society provide for their needs, then what are we really doing, right? We, Why should I, we trust I, you? Right, and also our, our mission to help people and to bring shalom or to bring peace to people should also be societal parts, right? Solomon said, it, uh, Lord, let me never have too less that I have to offend you and never have too much that I forget about you, right? And so, uh, and so to say that, right? And also, I would say no one ever applies that logic to rich people. No one, because the Bible says, "What do you mean?" It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, and then for a rich man to get into heaven. No one's ever like, right. "Man, we should take that guy's money so he gets into heaven." We never say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I would. Yeah, somehow, we certainly laud the the rich and the wealthy. Um, right. Maybe it was a few years ago, and I was and I, was, I was meditating over that, and I, and I just remember not really getting to a, a solution by like making a uh, a an assumption that I don't think was necessarily spirit led, but it was just like, Oh, okay. The poor, the rich back then were by nature more oppressive and um, they had slaves, they had servants and 
um, and there was less economic opportunity, particularly to to grow and prosper. There was less middle class. Therefore, oh, okay, I can see how Jesus was really putting the camel through the eye of a needle on those rich. And what you're saying is that's it. It, it, it might be more true today than, or it. What you're saying is it might be more true today than we think. Yeah, I do think I do think that definitely because we would think at one time we would have thought like idol worship doesn't exist in our society. Right. Yeah, we're not we're not bound down to poles or having sex sex shrines, Joel. No golden calves here. Yeah, but we still have a lot of idol worship in our and idolatry, idolatry in our in our uh, in our society. You would say an idol is anything that you worship more than God or you want more than God. Anything that gives me identity or worth or a deep satisfaction that isn't God, like that that makes up my thermonuclear core. Yes, right. So we still have idol worship, right? I even heard a, a great poem that we still have child sacrifice. Right. Because there are people that will pursue money and jobs over raising their children or 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 uh, or help or being with their children. Right. They're like, no, I'm, I'm going to spend these 40 hours a week and I'm going to travel every day instead of spending time with my children, because that's what I want to do. That's the same thing as child sacrifice for success. Right. Like there is just because I'm not like throwing a child in the fire, I'm still not giving them my heart and my time, which is the most valuable thing I have to give. And so. There, there's a lot i feel like it's easy to be like that's old context right um but that's just not true it still applies to us right it still applies because god is after our hearts right the the water reflects our face the, the the crucible reflects the impurities in in silver and gold and the heart you know and our and our words reflect our heart right and so like we want that to to be a part of everything that we do every day right and and I feel like, especially our, I feel like we have to move to a point where we want our, our society to look like what God would want it to. I always say this, there was a mass eviction happening in Texas, right? And I, I was thinking like, what would it be great if the people were like, man, I, it's not my fault I'm getting evicted, it's COVID. I, I don't have a job, I can't pay my rent. Like, you know, like, why am I getting evicted? Wouldn't it be great if they said, don't worry, the church is coming and they're not gonna let us get wrongfully evicted, right? Instead of the church standing there and be like, well, you should have saved right <laughs> right or or like looking like well, what did you do what sin did you have you know like or what did you not like or did you try to get a job asking all these questions be like no you don't deserve to get evicted right now it's not your fault right like there's there's this you know like you said in the in yeah the- that, i just i'll just cut in and to also say that that is like that would be stepping on uh, i know a lot of christians even a part of my Eve for whatever reason is like, wait a second, are they stepping out of their lines here? But you're just saying like, they're, they're, they're doing what they are called to do in Isaiah 58, like defending the, the, the oppressed and bounding, uh, loosening the bounds for the unjust basically. Yeah. Right. Like how, like if you're like, you know, you know, Jesus was radical, right. In that sense. He's radical. Right? Right. Like the, the things he was the things he was saying and preaching. Right. That's why they wanted. That's why no one minded getting rid of him. Right. At the time. Yeah. Right. And who knew he would come back and then we'd have a ministry to this day. We're even discussing. So, this. OK, hopefully so that's we, that, that's that's and hopefully Cyrus comes back to us. Right. Because, you know, like. Uh, Joel, like, oh, oh, my shit. gosh. God bless you. So <laughs> here we are. And we have a couple episodes talking about all this and that. that and so how do we get more socialist leftists, people who care about material policy? Um, introduced or reintroduced to Jesus. And, and fairly though, how do we get more Christians introduced to these types of policies you're talking about? I mean, I feel like that question is, is we have to give 
the 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 less palatable palatable Jesus to you, Chase, right, is a more palatable Jesus to Cyrus, right? The Say that again. So like the, the the Jesus that's hard for you to kind of, like that you're coming to. I see it in your face. I see the stress. You're like, man, you're you're unpacking a lot of my culturalism that's been there. You're unpacking a lot of my uh, um, just in my heart, right? Like I'm meditating on scripture to try to understand what you're really trying to say. Do I have to change the way I am? Like you're like even you saying when I when I said, well, these people know they're about to get unjustly evicted. What are they like? Am I should I do that? Should I step out? Right? Like that Jesus that radical love is very is very very palatable or very very believable to cyrus right the the penal substitutionary jesus that is painted in this country is not right that everything you do is your fault like that the way you are is just based on hard work right i right. uh, see that that strikes to the core of an idol of mine or of this country and that is like personal responsibility work ethic and like you're touching my thermonuclear core, Joel. So I saw. <laughs> but, but I feel like the solution is is you know the same largely in, in a lot of ways, and it's like one, like part of the reason we started this podcast is just because Christians and leftists don't even have these conversations really, except on the very right. fringes. Um, but the uh, like, I guess the other reason is is like, yeah, I would be, and I think a lot of Christians would be a lot more intrigued or at least interested in Christianity if they saw the, the expression of Jesus, the personal expression of Jesus uh, being things like helping the poor or, uh, you know, defending people who are oppressed or marginalized, even though it might not even be, you know, something that totally aligns with their ideology, but just re- a recognition that like, if you're, if your religion, if your faith doesn't require you to sacrifice anything, even if that sacrifice is just pride or ego, it's very hard for me to see that faith like as anything real. And similarly, like, you know, th- those types of things. And, and this is why, you know, I always go back to organizing because to me, that is, as Russ talked about in the last episode, you know, the auto plant workers organizing and formerly there were just, it was, a, there was like a KKK, um, chapter in that auto plant and then after organizing you know you had black and white workers and workers of all colors and and faiths you know working for the same thing and when you do that there's a common recognition of oh wow like maybe this socialist isn't evil and maybe this christian isn't isn't totally full of it you know i i think to me that's that's the quickest way to build those bridges i mean i still feel like the personal choice uh it's a, it's a, it's like a, a stick used to beat poor people, right? Um, and to people that are less fortunate. No, you know, quit, Cyrus. If we don't f- solve it now, we need another <laughs> history lesson with some of our friends and mentors that are better. I, I wonder where that was introduced in in our society. I know it's a part of our founding, but how did we how do we take that personal responsibility and and idolize it? Um, how did it I start? Feel like it was largely during the Gilded Age. You had the Horatio Alger stories which was basically just like propaganda. Um, you know, that that's where the rags to riches ideal comes from. It was not like from the 1770s, but from like the 1880s and 1890s during a time when people were more oppressed, uh, you know, by capital than ever, probably, except for maybe now we're starting. To well, you had immigrants coming up. in and you had like your exceptional people. So, okay. Don't want to derail, but that's like a topic. We got to We got to We got to yeah, like, except, help ex- me unpack this. Yeah, because exceptionalism is a tool of the uh, of the oppressor, right? 
like even in, among people of color, Asians are taken out as an exceptional or model minority. They don't break the law. They don't speak up. Right. And they and they're successful because of that. Right. And there is just used to ha- to help them. And a lot of a lot of the younger generation is now rejecting that. Right. We don't want that minor um, that model minority. Myth, right. Like if someone's doing something wrong to us, we want to speak out against it. We want to do these things. Even here um, as a Jamaican, uh, as families as a Jamaican coming from a Jamaican immigrant family. I remember being told Yo, when you go to school, if you see a woman, uh, a white woman coming with a, with a notepad, just come and take away from your family, sit straight, look forward, and don't say anything. Just make sure you're paying attention the whole time. If a woman came with a notepad, you would see me like instantly like um, stand to attention because when you immigrate here, you come here, you're given this model, my this model minority myth, and you don't want to associate with the the <laughs> the rebel black people that have been here that are tired of oppression that are fighting for. Right. This is fascinating. Uh, I asked Cyrus if we could talk to you about this before, and he's like, "Dude, careful." Uh, I'm fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here. I say that uh, until <laughs> until <laughs> until justice for everybody. I'm here for all the smoke, right? And so <laughs> there is there is this kind of like bad. there's just this kind of th- that is just used to separate people, right? It's used to separate you, Chase, from us, right? Like your success. Someone would come to you and be like, don't let them talk bad about your success. You don't have to be generous to who you want. You want to be generous to who you want to. You don't need to be taxed. You work well, hard. It's also the exceptional, like, you know, the, the, the lazy person on welfare or whatever. And right. I do think it, some of our welfare policy incentivizes bad behavior, but that's not what you've been saying. You're not saying, like, we should just give. We're, we're, I have heard you saying, just to clarify that, like, we should set up proper incentivized structures and we should invest in good incentive structures and good incentive policies. But that's all socialism is, right? Like, like you still have to get up and work. You still have to get up and do these things. But if you can't or if you're sick, you should be provided for. You should be helped, right? If you're old, you should be helped, right? I feel like I don't see where the disconnect is, but it's also this belief, once again, I feel like in Christianity where this, like, in, like American Christians are the friends that went to visit Joe right? You did something. That's why you're suffering. You did this. That's why you're suffering. And he's trying to tell them the whole time that no, I didn't. There's nothing that I could have done that could have caused this or not causes um, promotion. Like you can talk about all things in the Bible. Like there is nothing there that I did to bring this on myself. It is the way of the world and it is what happened. And God is still God. Interesting. Right? I, I haven't put that together. You're saying uh, Job's friends are white American Christians who think there isn't uh, racism to be solved right right like they're just like yeah if they have a problem it's on their fault right and and so that is a you become a hard-hearted christian you become a jonah you become a jonah you become addicted to culture you you you, you start relying on your own righteousness for your own success he was a prophet so of course he thought he was righteous right nothing wrong with his heart right you're like there's other people i know you work with like i'm an investment banker i i do this i even have a um I've never heard this before. I know how comfortable I am with it. But um, a couple, they dropped off food at my house the other day. We just came back from in town. Um, uh, my mother just passed last week, and we were out of town for that. And um, they came just to drop off food. And and they were like, we're fasting from church. Because she said, I had this feeling that everything was okay, or I was okay with God, just because I went to church. Right? And I feel like that is a very American Christian ideal. I go to church, 
I have a house. I have a car. Right. Um, it's like a life jacket. Yeah, it's like I'm as long okay. as you're wearing that, you're not going to drown. I'm okay. Right. I'm going to heaven. And she was like, she, there's areas of her heart she hadn't explored yet. So she wants to just give it 40 days before they join a new church where she just really unpacks what that means to her. And that there's no, there, that's not where your security is. Right. And I feel like that's what's happened. That's the disconnect between, you know, a lot of, you know, Christian fundamentalists and socialists. They hear the term and they're like, what you said, all the personal responsibility, they just want to be lazy. They don't want to do anything where I just made all the right decisions. And that's where I am, where I, where I am. But the Bible tells you that's not true. Right. You know, um, and so you know, man can make us uh, make his plan, but who makes his path? Right. Like there's a, you can plant a seed, but who makes it grow? Right. God is consistently trying to tell you over and over again that it's him who makes all the will and all the decisions. But if you're if he willed you or caused you to live in this society, right, where we are in America as a Christian, we should be radically trying to change it to where there are people who are no longer crushed by the margins. We should use any privilege, any power, any position that we have to carve a path out of the margins for those people so that they can live a full life. Right. And uh, um, they can live a life where they're just not constantly thinking about where they're going to eat or, or what they're going to do. You don't, you want them to be able to serve God maximize. Right. And so I feel like we can't live in a country. We, I don't see how you can peacefully, I don't see how you can be a Christian and peacefully live in a country that you know has these kind of issues and that people that you know and that you would call a brother or people have the Imago Day, people who God created are suffering at this level. So to wrap it back before our comments, you're saying, I don't know how you can be a Christian and see the suffering and simultaneously say, yes, America is great, period. Yeah. Mm. Long so way it's a real gauntlet for sure for a lot of listeners. I'm, I, I, I have no doubt, but I think it's uh, something that a lot of people need to hear from my perspective. Um, now, this conversation has been super energizing and inspiring to me. You know, I always get to talk with socialists, get fired up about, about these types of things. But we are a little, I guess, just about a year uh, from the defeat of Bernie um, by, you know, certain forces in the establishment, I'll say. Um, but you know, a lot of people, myself included, who were very invested in that campaign, you know, to the point of knocking doors or making phone calls or, or whatever else, um, you know, I think especially after that, and then that followed immediately by the pandemic, a lot of socialists and leftists or just people who are care about, you know, the, the politics of oppression and, and material politics feel a bit discouraged or hopeless or cynical about the prospects of changing things. Um, so for those people, do you, you have, as someone who's like being involved in your community, you know, that's a lot. One thing we really try to hone in on the show too, is like, look around you, look at your neighborhood, look at your city. How can you help there? Um, but for those people who might be feeling a little discouraged or, or cynical about the future, do you have any advice or encouragement? Is, is there anything, how can they do something about the problems in their communities? We see local progressives, local leftists local people that people can vouch for, um, support them. So please go to my website. I got to do this or my whole campaign team is going to jump down. My oh, yeah, no, please do it. We'll do it before as well. But yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah. 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 Morefor24.com. That's M-O-R-E-F-O-R, the letter D, the number four.com. Please go follow my campaign, support however you can, because it's going to take national support to make local change. Um, mm. I'm a grassroots candidate, grassroots organization, and we're moving from there. 
if you feel discouraged by the system, right, then you have to work from grassroots organizations, support candidates that aren't in your area that you know are doing something great, support them. Um, Chase can tell you about that. If you know a missionary, you know someone who's doing something great, it's not for you, but you want them to continue the work, you have to support them. Am I right, Chase? It's, yeah, it's, no, that's actually a strong, strong play. Yeah. And so I would say that is the best way. If you're sitting there, don't be heartbroken. Start looking for someone and move on. I would say Bernie is a great example of that. He didn't, he didn't for one second just start complaining about the machine and start saying all this was, uh, you know what? Um, but what does the Bible say? I'm back to work. Yeah. The harvest is plain. The laborers are few, right? So if you know you're one of those people who are invested and want to go, you don't have time to grumble. You only have time to work. Um, you only have time to invest. Mm. You only have time to send emails and make calls for people. Philippians 2, do not argue or complain about anything. Right, 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 right. And I feel <laughs> like that it gave us Bernie bros a bad name when people were just on Twitter complaining about the system the whole time. Don't yeah. let, Let's not fall for that trap, right? Let's not fall for that. Let's say, okay, you don't want us to have a national platform, so we're taking every local platform that exists, right, to then build into a national movement. Right. Like let's yeah. let's take over city councils. Right. Let's take over aldermen positions and and and, and senators and congressmen and state set state sense and uh, state reps. Let's take over all those positions where we know let's invest and help there. Right. We don't have to, like the people that this system is working for. Love it when we grumble and we fight. Right. They love it. Right. We just have to move on every time. And so I try my best not to get into petty arguments. I try my best. Uh, in the church, you call it non-essentials, right? Not to get into the non-essentials and just focus on the work, right? My, that's why my big three is education, small business, and housing, right? These are the things that I know will immediately help the people in, in, in this lifetime, right? I would say, if you give me any amount of money in a budget, I win city councils. I'm, if I win city council and you give me any amount of money, right, I'm going to build a house for people of color, right, that need it. I'm going to build a single family dwelling. Right now in Boston, we have, in one of the most affluent cities in the world, we have a housing crisis. Makes mm -hmm. no sense. Um, another, one of the big problems is we don't have a system to incentivize um, developers to not build condos. Uh, anyone, as an investment banker, I know you probably worked, have you ever worked on like a, a housing, like a housing project or anything like uh, I haven't personally, no, not on that stuff. So when it comes to finishing work, that's your most expensive part, the sheetrock all that kind of, like everything like you can you know 800 feet of sheetrock can build four different condos right instead of one house so they can right. split that up and sell condos and make more profit right now we're just having issues with that like there's just developers all around but this is where i believe christians would push um the city to incentivize developers to build single family housing you know whatever that looks like is it a three family single ha family housing is it a duplex whatever it is but I would feel like the church would be like, hey, we don't want a, a city absent of families or, or people that have lived here for a long time. We, we want that diversity, just like you're going to a diverse church. But as a socialist, too, I feel like you'd want that, too. You want families. You want communities. Right. So we should be using our our inf This is what I'm saying. Like, if you're upset about what happened nationally, we got to start focusing locally, but not just in like, you know, food pantries, but also policy that could actually help people maintain in their city. Like what policy can I get behind? What 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 movements can I get behind to help people right now? Right? If we could, if if I get into office in the next year and I could pass a bill that incentivizes, right, or a policy that incentivizes 
um, developers to start building housing for families. You've right? changed lives. Right there in that, right? So let's 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 get the work done. Let's start to work, right? And and then and then let's and then let's see what that movement does, right? We start putting people in housing. We start uh, having better schools and small business. The corruption that goes on won't last very long. So yeah, Joel, you know what we're we're very sorry you lost your mom. I can see why though. It, you're, you're returning to work so, so quickly. So you're clearly passionate about what you do and you know what um, uh, I will support, um, you know what, and you know what, I'll, this conversation, I'm not fully there yet. And I'm not saying I'm going there, but <laughs> I, what, I'm, what, I'm, what, what I'm saying is that, you know what, if he's been saying that for you and Russ, years, if you and Russ ever turn me into a socialist, God help capital. Or, you know, <laughs> I've read all the Ayn Rand stuff, man. So like I would be, I would be effective. <laughs> Um, so, so Joel, thank you. And again, we're sorry for your loss Thank you. and you know what, man, um, we'll support and do our best to get the word out of this conversation. Uh, the one thing, um, that we want to end on, and we've sent this to all of our, uh, former interviews, but we've never given you the choice. And so you're the first one, uh, mama capo on jam sessions, Idaho also has a uh, jam business. Do you have any kind of jam preference? Is there a berry? Uh, flower like, cocktail, uh, you know, preference that you have. She makes these things custom. It was like a pear one, I think. Oh, a pear huckleberry. Yes, yeah, yeah. huckleberry pear butter. Yeah, I've got some of that with your name on it, and we'll, Thank you know, you. what uh, you've given us two or three episodes worth of uh, combo, and so we will we'll compensate you handsomely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Also, oh, just you might be just uh, you know, getting back to work. You know, I just told people, like, it's like everything I just said, like things have to change. And I know like it's hard because people, people thought it was comforting when they would tell me that my mother was proud of me because this is the mission that I was on. And, you know, like I want to win and it's going to be hard because she's not there, you know, to see it. And but I, I will say I came closer to my understanding of why I'm doing this. Just being there with her. Uh, she took a surgery and it just didn't go well. Uh -huh. And you know, my son there, and she would just constantly ask us just to, um, just to hold her. And it made me just reinforce that um, everyone just wants compassion. Um, and that's, and that's, and that really shaped and broke my heart in that. And uh, in her honor, I couldn't write a eulogy, but I, I preached the 91st Psalm for her because um, mm -hmm. that was her favorite verse. And, you know, he who dwells in secret place of the most high shall abide in the shadow of the almighty. And I feel like we just need to build a, a society where people can abide under some comfort, some housing, uh, good education, and small businesses that reinvest back into their community and whatever that looks like. And I feel like if you do that, we'll just have a better world and a better society. So yeah. When's election day? Uh, September is when we're going to have our primary. It's a it's a crowded field. Uh, open seat just brings out opportunists, and people are going to jump in. Um, and then the final two will be in November. But um, yeah. We'll so, help get the word out, man. Thank yeah, you. If, I really uh, appreciate it. Yeah. If you, if you can afford it, please uh, support Joel. That's he's, right. uh, he's doing good work. And if there are people like him in your communities, please also support them. Yes. Um, thank you so much for your time, Joel. It was an absolutely captivating conversation. Thank I you. look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes. Email me anytime. Chase, if you want to have, I love talking about spiritual things. If you want to, if you want to email some more, I'll help you with your fundamentalist heart. <laughs> <laughs> Right on, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciated this. This is a good combo. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, man.
Well, Chase, while we were, were uh, interviewing, talking with Joel, having a, a spirited discussion, I couldn't help but look over at, at you and see just a general, general consternation. It seemed like mm. there were uh, a lot of a lot of compl- complicated dots being had. Uh, what, was, what was going on with that? Yeah, good three dollar word consternation. Well, it's because <laughs> he's uh, he's woven his politics and his spirituality really closely. Like he says what he believes and and believes what he says, and I like that about him. I they're just almost different assumptions than I've been operating with, and so some of those I'm sure about because what he's what he's proposing are different ways of looking at the relationship between church and government and people's relationship there within and i've got to really work through the logical implications of what he's saying before i agree yes we should do the same thing period because i think there are some problems with i don't want to be too vague man but so we can we can get into it so you can that's, that's the little intro of I like what he's saying, but is that, you know, within context scripturally, would that work out, uh, you know, wisdom wise on, on a public scale? I was trying to filter all that stuff as he was talking. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of uh, ideologies, butting heads in the, in the middle of a conversation, I'm sure. And then the, in the, uh, the old mental gumbo there, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, gumbo. but that's good. No, that's, that's, you know, the point of this and why we're doing it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I sorry. loved, sorry. Is gumbo largely the same thing as jambalaya? Um, no, maybe that should be in the show notes. Different story. Okay. I don't think so. If, if my memory serves for my few years living in the South, the jambalaya and gumbo is a slightly different operation. One's more of like a stew. I think one has rice involved. Neither here nor there. Don't want to embarrass. Any listener myself, can post uh, a rep- recipe to one or the <laughs> other, and we will. Uh, yeah. Probably. Someone wants to make a correction. That's then, right. Yeah. Please do. Please. But uh, all that said, uh, um, I I loved talking to Joel. I thought he was great. Um, and I, I want to preface, you know, any any uh, little criticisms or, or quibbles I might have with the the statement that you know, by and large. Let's say I agree with about 95% of his outlook, you know, yeah, I mean, and disagreements I, I, I have are more, more minor semantic. And I want to push you on disagreements as I think you're going to push me on agreements. Uh, um, I'll agree with that. And you know what? Um, even in like elementary school, middle school, I remember sort of this line going through, you know, world history. Well, yeah, communism and socialism would work if, you know, people were, were, were better or people were angels or maybe, you know, on a, on a, in a neighborhood level where you can really keep track of things and people. And you know what? I'll come out and say, I do not agree with everything Joel says or is for, but I did make a donation to Joel because I think he's really believes it. And I think on a city level where I'm at now in my understanding, some things might work and some things, some different programs might be more effective on a local level than on something state or nationwide. So I'd really like to see, uh, Joel get into uh, city council and, and and put those ideas to work because I think they would help people in Boston. So encourage everybody just to, you know, a, a double take on even if it's just a dollar to, you know, continue to uh, get his ideas out there. We encourage you to go to Joel Richards and uh, and donate a dollar um, friend of the show now. And you know what? Um, we're going to keep asking him to kind of pop in with any kind of questions or thoughts he has for our future guests um, every now and then as well. So um, how OK, having said all that. 
Cyrus, where do you disagree with Joel then? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to link all that in the show notes, as you said. But um, that's a good that's a good segue for kind of the little disagreements I, I did have with him. Um, because obviously he's running for city council. So his focus is really on the direct issues affecting his neighborhood and, and the neighborhoods that make up his district. Um, that said, some of the words he used or the way he described socialism, I, I would take a little bit of a theoretical uh, disagreement with or, or alternative viewpoint. You know, I think um, like different strategies work for different contexts. Um, so in my opinion, like right now, uh, local electoralism is probably it could, could very well be a really good thing for the socialist project in general. Um, you know, keeping money in the community among the small businesses that uh, that are operate within it. Um, but in my opinion, on a broader scale, it's it's sort of a short term fix um, in a battle that really ultimately can't be won. So, what are you saying um, exactly? Well, I guess what I'm saying is that. Uh, like a big part of his platform is, you know, focusing on small businesses. Um, and I think, I guess what I'm saying is on a, on a super practical level, on a base level, I think that's good. And I, like you said, in much the same way, like uh, that certain things might be true for working on a local level versus working on a national level or otherwise. So, you know, for any socialists out there, I would just say that, that that's a good thing. And I think it very well could be the best thing you could dedicate your time to right now, you know, supporting a local candidate, running for local candidacy, just supporting local initiatives, that sort of thing. But on a broader scale, you know, he, he, he says, I, I don't think he comes right out and say socialism isn't anti-capitalist, but he, he kind of turns it around and says, you know, so socialism really is is pro community, which is true. But socialism also is necessarily anti-capitalist. And I don't want to scare people off with that statement because I think a lot of people in America think of themselves as anti or as capitalists and don't want to be, you know, no one wants to be anti something that they are. Um, but I want to make that distinction here that while most people might in the United States might be pro-capitalism, uh, a capitalist is someone who you know, makes all of their income or the vast majority of their income passively through ownership of the means of production, be it land, real estate, uh, factory, um, whatever else. So that's that's what we mean when we say anti anti capitalist. Well, and, I guess. OK, fine. And I won't largely uh, we don't want to get uh, do what we did with Russ and get bogged down in an ideological argument here. But when you say passively, I mean, like, I've got a lot of friends that are starting companies right now, and they're going without income um, to get that started and try to get it far enough to attract capital investors um, to give their business, like, you know, a funding in life. And so while, you know, Rich Daddy Warbucks generationally is maybe doing a lot of things passively, there are a lot of new age capitalists, and I don't want to I'm not really trying to get at anything by saying it like that Yeah. who are entrepreneurs and are sort of living the risk reward lifestyle. No, that's, that's definitely true. And, and not, you know, not to discount those people and, and they are, they are, they're capitalists too. And I, but I agree there's a sort of a distinction to be made between small holders and large holders because, you know, the, the vast majority of people who actually have massive net worths in, in this country 
are they receive that net worth from inheritance or from uh, you know the passive income generated through their father or grandfather's company who like these entrepreneurs that you're talking about. Yeah, maybe at one point we're innovative and and you know had the metal to start a business in a hostile economic environment. Um, but now it's mostly run by, you know, their fail sons and fail daughters and who, you know, live a, a life free of work. Um, you know, I think one thing a lot of, a lot of, you know, people who are against socialism right off the bat, like to say is like, Oh, well, there's always going to be freeloaders in the system, you know, like, Oh yeah, that, that might work. Okay. But you know, there's always going to be people who take advantage and don't work, don't contribute. And it's, well, we, we very much have that already right now. There is a, a, a small, but, but no, you know, not marginal percentage of the population that doesn't have to work because of the, you know, net worth they were given by their position in society and what they were born into. Hmm. Okay. Um, so you're saying in summation, socialism is different than that. Uh, and then, and then capitalism and, and that's one of the rub points. I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like I said, this is kind of semantic. I just, I felt like it's okay, useful no, to define fair. these terms a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, so don't people, wanna... as we talk about it, kind of know what I'm sure. talking about. Where else do you disagree with him? Uh, you know, I, not, not really much, to be honest. I, I would say, you know, the majority of the rest he talked about I, was stuff I really agreed on. Um, so what, maybe, let, maybe now's a good time to ask what you agreed on. Ooh, yeah, I agree. Um, well, I, I think firstly, I agree with that. We got to test ourselves in ministry. I really enjoyed that. And that to me uh, sort of feels like you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable position. If you don't like homeless people, you are talking to a homeless person or going to a homeless shelter or um, that's the example that he used, or you're going to a city council meeting um, and you're going to, you know, look for ways in which you can help um, in, in your, in your, in your city or at your church. You know what I mean? Like you might just say, Hey, I, I'll do whatever you need at my local church and they need a kids, you know, someone to teach the third graders or help teach third grade. And you might hate kids, but maybe there's something going on there and you got to test yourself in that way. And so yeah. I, I very much agreed with that. And I think he's um, lot, really living that out as a teacher, as you know, somebody that's pushing that in his, his community. So I found encouragement there. Um, I also agree with some of his critiques. And I think as Christians, particularly, uh, even as capitalists, we've got to listen to the critiques, right? Some of the things that he said about just with, within Boston is true in most places. Well, the downtown gets the snow swept um, while some of the neighborhoods don't, or the, maybe the trash services aren't as equal. Or even his critique of uh, equal schools. I think a lot of that difference, I, it's why I kind of asked you those questions about capitalism, socialism difference there, Cyrus, was because very commonly socialism is pitched as, or is I receive it as equal outcomes, right? I work right. harder than you and I get the same amount as you. And that's a bad incentive for me to work extra hard or to be me, me to be extra creative, right? What Joel was saying was not equal outcomes, but equal opportunity. And I think it's a pretty fair argument to say, hey, there should be the same student to teacher ratio in all schools because we have the means to do it. And that's something that we're going to really going to prioritize. And 
equal opportunity is super American, right? Like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. You need equal opportunity for those things. And we, I won't go into that direction, but so, so I liked his critiques of we've got a favoritism in our system. We have um, cyclic inequality in our system and as Christians and as people who want just a good commercial society, we need to fix those things. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if he mentioned, if we mentioned this exactly in the episode, but um, you know, I think we're a good example of that in that we were the products of a extremely well-funded public school in a state that really doesn't do a lot of public school funding. Uh, but the school we went to definitely did because the property taxes nearby, you know, were so much higher than, than other places. And, and the, the numbers just don't, the numbers, I mean, you can either say that we're all uniquely blessed in that community, but like my graduating class, you know, we had two people, three people go to West Point, um, multiple people go to Ivy leagues and other, you know, UCLA places like that, you know, prestigious quote unquote schools. So, yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely true uh, of, of socialism to a certain degree, at least in practice, is the, like the true equal access to resources. Yeah. And I would say that that starts as early as like reading in kindergarten and before that, just because I went yeah, I went to Clayton. Right. Which was a, a middle school in Reno that fed three different high schools almost equal equally. And so one was a was a rougher high school. Um, super lower socioeconomic, you know, just uh, brackets. And then uh, one was like sort of an old city school and the other one was like a newer, su- very suburb school. And it was really interesting seeing the kids at that middle school um, coming from different elementary schools, wildly different, you know, reading levels, you know, ESL capabilities. And, um, and you know, no one was better or worse, but already by middle school, if you don't really understand what's going on in English, then you're less interested in English. And so, and you're going to get left behind and you're going to get left behind. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that there's, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, So let me, let me get into a little bit more uh, nitty gritty though, of of where I think I actually agree with him. And he said something that a lot of Christians don't agree with. And that is the church should be a part of influencing policy for good. Um, like advocacy for the poor and oppressed, better or more equal schools, um, housing the unhoused, helping the homeless um, or mentally ill, even uh, having making sure everyone has um, equal access to health care and you know, pro-life policies after birth, those sorts of things. And that might sound like common sense to you, Cyrus, but it's really not to me um, because we because of that issue we talked about. And it's something like uh, many modern day Christians um, don't advocate for solving cyclic poverty and some, and helping others like uh, systematically oppressed groups because well, money and government can't fix everything. Like they can't fix, you know, the human heart and sin. Uh, now I think so long as the incentives are right, and that's a key thing. Like so long as we actually create policy and support programs and encourage people to work, encourage people to go get more schooling, those sort of things, then I agree with Joel. The suburbs are not filled with more or less sinful people. Um, they just have different levels of education and resources. And yeah, yeah. I think like a good distinction sort of is that, like you said, the incentive structure 
like something like free healthcare for all is just saying, Hey, I don't think like treatment for your treatable disease should be like an incentive for you to make money for somebody else. You know, like that we have enough resources here that like just receiving healthcare shouldn't be something that you have to well, and you have know to work for. We've had a couple of people write in to say, let's be careful about saying uh, health access to healthcare and r- receiving healthcare, um, just because or the, the healthcare provision and then access to it are very different issues, right? So I think we got to get a little bit cleaner on our on our terminology. We can catch up offline on that, but sure. I think ultimately, what I'm trying to get at is the church can and should be involved in some things that they're not right now, like getting everyone that wants to be in a home in a home and everyone that needs better access to healthcare. Cause we can all go to emergency rooms, but we don't, all of us can't you know, wait for five or six hours for just prescriptions, those sorts of things. Like that should be an equalizer. And that is something the church should care about that. I feel like largely we don't right now. And that frustrates me. And, um, and I think if, you know, Jesus doesn't come back in a couple hundred years and we're still America, we'll look back on where we're at today. And one of the great sins, stains of our, of our love for our brothers and sisters, particularly with Christians, will be that we let mentally ill people sleep outside in the cold. If, and not to talk about the people, you know, who reject society and don't want to, but people who are truly mentally ill, we just talk about oh, the crazy guy talking to himself. Like, that's crazy. And Pretty amazing have, things that and, we've normalized in it our is, society. It is. And you know what? And that's something that, um, that I'll just put it this way. And, and, and this is kind of letting you know, maybe I need a rant episode coming up, Cyrus, where I'm really kind of uh, can fumigate some of these thoughts and ideas. The Bible is much more clear in its unequal love for the poor and oppressed and the homeless than it is for the abolishment of slavery. Right. And so yeah. the fact shows that, up a lot. Well, right. Yeah. The fact that we're heavy on no slavery, but you know, that, uh, but not on helping the mentally ill who are homeless. You know what? That's what seems where, like those two things are hand in glove. It's, it's where Joel's ideas start to catch a lot of steam and me start to go, yeah. you know what? He's freaking right. Um, and, and I've heard a lot of things and I've been a part of a lot of whether it be homeless shelters or you know handing out free foods where you see people in you know Cadillacs or you know uh you know Ford F-150s new ones showing up to get the free and reduced lunches or to you know get some of the, the social stuff handouts or whatever else I think we as Christians can look down on people who aren't as good at money managers don't have as much much education and or anything else and say well like they're just not making good decisions or whether they're lazy or they're whatever. And one thing that I wanted to, to share that I think the Lord sort of put, no, he didn't sort of, the Lord put on my spirit, maybe it was more four, four or five months ago. I think I asked, I told you this conversation, but I was wrestling with this idea of, um, of I think maybe it was some of our earlier conversations, even before the podcast about people going out, potentially getting kicked out of their homes because of COVID. Um, and I was asking God if I should care, or is this something that's going to get taken care of? Is this getting overblown? And I feel like just to you, Cyrus, and to any other Christian that's listening, whenever I ask God a question and I'm patient enough and, and fervent enough to wait for an answer, many times his answers come in the form of a question to me, at least. And 
the question that God gave me and put it on my spirit was, and I, I did not think of this question before. So this is my, you know, evidence that, man, I have a Holy Spirit inside of me. And I, I the, the counselor of the Holy Spirit in me. Anyways, the question is, Chase, are my commands to love the poor relative or are they absolute? And I started thinking about it. And I guess it sort of dawned on me that I write off the poor and the oppressed and the, and the orphan and the widow because they're 21st century poor. Like, come on, they've got a TV. They probably have a smartphone and you know, they're not like Jesus day poor. And even in a thousand years, I, what, what I, what I came to realize or not like global South poor, you know, they're not. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're not living in like, yeah, they're not forced to live in an, like an aluminum, aluminum shack. Um, They could go to how many places to get a job. Um, that is not, that's a mentality of an American. That's not the mentality of a Christian. Yeah. I, I, you know, as we, as you're talking, it just kind of made me think, and and maybe it's something, a topic we can dig into a little bit more in your rant episode, if we end up doing one of those, but, um, you know, I wonder how much of that rejection of things like providing basic housing for the poor, providing, uh, you know, uh, assistance in, in any way, be it, be it through, you know, subsidized healthcare or, or what have you, how much of the rejection of that is tied up in our own ego, you know, like, like kind of, as you were, you're talking about, um, you know, the, the Christian's concern for, for that type of thing, you know, how much is a desire not to give someone a house, a, a, a strongly held belief and a necessarily held belief for your own identity that like, Oh, well, they just don't have a house because they didn't work as hard as I did. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with circumstance or fortune well, or whatever else. And if you get, if you start giving people houses for free, then, then that opens up the possibility of, oh, well, maybe I didn't get everything I have through my own, my own hard work. And, maybe, now, and, and track with me here, like listen to understand and to maybe solve a problem rather than like, just come at me here because you're probably right with some of that. But I think a lot of it is the protection of like this American ideal that we have, like this hard work. Um, and I know pull yourself by your boobs straps is because sort of, you know, oxymoronic, but what I'm saying is like, as an, like we we have this collective American belief that if we work really hard, things will get better for us. Right. And that's not yeah, always the case in a sense. Right. Cause you can get trapped in some things, but what well, I guess what I'm saying is that we have, we currently have a welfare system at certain points, which on the labor, la- labor leisure curve disincentivizes work. Right. Where it's like, it, it, to me, it's, it's ungodly. It's, it's a sin. Our current um, like uh, uh, welfare compensation package. Like if you go work, even if it's part-time, you get less welfare if you're out of a job. That is dumb, right? You have a disability and you it want like, to work some, but you can't fully work because your disability prevents you from, you know, then you can't collect disability if you make over a certain Now, now let me think of, yeah, in let, a me, cycle of poverty. let me think of it like off the top of my head, or this isn't off the top of my head. I, I happen to give credit to one of our listeners, a um, guy named Les. You know, we, we, he's been really arguing with me and some of you on offlines on this, but like an example, because him and his wife are very, passionate about helping poor, particularly helping um, ESL students. Like 
what if, and this isn't perfect, but like, what if you had uh, uh, some sort of benefit where if you kept a job for three to five years, right, the government gave you like a, a portion of a down payment on a house, right? That, that literally went into the house. It wasn't like a cash payment. So all of a sudden you're incentivized, you're a homeowner, you have a paying mortgage, right? It, it holds, it incentivizes you to hold down a job. And by going to work, you don't lose welfare support money. You see what I'm saying? Like even dad in, in Idaho, he's having trouble putting workers in his plant because they're making more money on a federal unemployment for, for COVID, right? Like to me, that's one thing that is a little odd. Like he, Joel and Russ have both said it. Socialism is not anti-work. You see what I'm saying? And so we yeah. need good policies that incentivize good behavior. Well, so, that's, that's like, not very that's, different at all from, you know, just the general idea of, of giving employees a vested interest in the success of their company, you know, by either like, you know, we, I think we might've mentioned like sort of co-op model where there's, you know, different where employees have actual stake, you know, of ownership in their company or where they maintain a certain number of seats on the board or what have you. But I mean, that's a similar idea to that, that like your you are investing time into this job. And in that sense, it would be just the greater economy. And so you should be given, you know, some dividend for that. And in your case, it's the dividend of a down payment on a house. Let me just kind of try to boil down what I'm saying. I think a lot of me and people like me get bogged down on helping the poor, helping the people who are on welfare or whatever else, because of how it would be done. Right it would disincentivize work or it would, it would promote laziness or you have more kids because you have a, you know, a greater child tax credit, something like that. Like, and no legislation will be perfect, but you see what I'm saying? Like those but the people, re- all the people who make those arguments, generally speaking, are people like, like of our social class Cyrus, who work Cyrus, in the knowledge don't economy, make on the person though. who work in nice Cyrus. air conditioned offices. Cyrus, but you're, but you're still missing the point that it doesn't incentivize good behavior. Does that, you see what I'm saying? Like, and just because people might, that are, that are critiquing this might live in, you know, uh, million dollar homes with, with white collar jobs doesn't mean that they won't support it if it doesn't encourage good behavior. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, but I think you could say the exact same thing about the capitalist system that there are, that it doesn't incentivize good behavior of owners, especially those I, perfect. who already have, you know, like. Sure. And so what I guess what I'm saying is, for more policies that help more people to get more people into society in a good, fruitful, meritocratic manner that like, we just got to come, come across with well incentivized policies. No, I think, I think we're approaching similar solutions just from different sides, Uh, which is the idea that there should be some actual reward for your contribution to the economy, some dividend that you're paid for keeping, keeping the machine going. Just, and you just know what? the very simple fact of that, we all need it. So there should be a reward for it. I guess we can get a lot more creative for helping people get off welfare and into uh, jobs that are available with government subsidies and programs, right? That aren't happening right now. So um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Maybe more for a rant episode. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot we can talk in. I'll yeah. Talk so you said you, so that's, I think that, in broad strokes kind of capsulates where I'm agreeing with him. I will transition to say I'm unsure of, of a point that connects to a lot of his other points. And in a couple of ways, he said government should provide basic rights. And I'm tied up with this idea of negative and positive rights because a right 
means something that is given to you by God, right? Like you have the right to worship him sort of like how you want, right? He gives you that, he gives you that free will. And that's not something a man can give you, right? Now, even freedom of speech, you can go out into the nature and say whatever you want. Um, and it's and I, the government doesn't have and to that's provide. That's a pretty loose definition of freedom of speech. No, it right? is. It, it is an assembly and all yeah. these sorts of things. But you kind of see what I'm trying to get at. It's, it doesn't mean we all, like the, the governing body has to provide you a microphone or give you a cell phone to get on the internet because you have the right to make your voice heard. And that's true. But I think all of those rights, you know, like Declaration of Independence, you know, God given rights, like those are all arbitrary. Like you don't have a, an, like God doesn't give you a right to the pursuit of happiness. Uh, no. Like, so that's, that's contrary to our founders, man. They, they believed like as God's property, we were given life. We were given liberties and we were given and liberties, you know, with responsibilities and we were giving the, the ability to pursue happiness. I right. mean, that's great, but that, that only, that it's only a God given right. Quote unquote, if a bunch of men agree that it is. And, and well, not necessarily men. I mean, in the case of them, it was, but in, in sure, what but I'm saying is, is to boil like, it down to what I'm saying just now. socially defined things. But, so. but here's how I'm drawing the line. Like if it's a natural right, let nature provide it right now. I'm not saying we shouldn't pr- provide things like healthcare and access to healthcare, better access, because that's what we choose to do in a society of our, with our level of wealth. But if we didn't have as much wealth as we did, or we, you know, sometimes don't, don't in the future or whatever, to say it's a natural right and you, you, you owe me my right, you're violating my rights, right? As my right as a human for you to provide me healthcare, it, it doesn't sit logically to me right now. You can say it's an entitlement of being an American citizen, kind of like, you know, Paul did in the Bible where he was, you know, being said, like, whoa, I'm a Roman citizen. I have certain. You know, I have certain privileges. I think he used the words rights, but he said, I have certain like a titles, entitlements to me, right? And the, whoa, you, yes, you do. You, you need to be treated much different. And I think as in America, we could like, it's that, it's the conversation where a lot of people who don't agree that like, for instance, um, after school uh, 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 daycare, like universal subsidy for daycare, you could say that that's a right for women. Well, wait a second. It's a great privilege. I think we probably should give women and families, but is it a right? Like, is it something that, that the government should always provide no matter what? And the, the government should go like to their deathbed fighting for? No, because if we don't have the means to provide it, we shouldn't. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I guess that's true. But you could extend that logically to like the most basic of rights, like the right to life. You say, oh, you have a right to life. We'll let nature provide it. Like, okay, well then, you know, I can go kill someone. And if nature doesn't defend that person, then I guess it's not really a right. No, 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 no. But see, that's just it though. Like it's, it's, it's within- the same thing. Like if, oh, it's only a right as long as the government is able to provide for it. So it's only as long as the government is able to provide protection. I just think like, you know, th- that's, well, that's no, no, no. A- so it, it, just to kind of connect the dots, it's like you can exercise your right until the point like it impedes upon another's, Right. And so you don't have the freedom to like violate someone's right to life or someone's right to, to, you know, to, to be free and have liberty. Now we give it, give a lot of things for that, for the essence of security. But like, for instance, the government, our government, our us, our public us, whoever we represent to elect us should defend us, our defend our life. If another country wants to kill us, they should defend our liberties and they should defend like the way in which we want to live our life. 
right? Anything else, like, I don't know if we should go to war over. Okay, but so, like, let's just use an example of, like, a, a pharmaceutical company that only because they want bit more profits, not, not like they even need it to, to survive and sustain themselves as a company, raises the prices of insulin so that people who are diabetic can't afford it. Are they not impinging on their right to life uh, by, by greedily hoarding resources and money so that that person uh, has to you know, pay the equivalent of monthly rent just, just to have the medicine they need to continue living? Yes, I, I think in and this while I think businesses, um, yeah, like you know, remain competitive and, and try to do that. I do think that that's like an instance when someone has like life saving medication that the government can step in and say, hey, well, if you want to sell insulin to our citizens, you need to have you know these sort of considerations on it, and you know, and if you don't, we'll go with someone who has with who will provide insulin that will because we have enough people in our uh, society to make it a privilege to say, well, if you want to sell sell to our citizens. You're gonna have to sell it at a, you know at a, at a certain cost, um, so I think that is yeah. a place we could step in. But and I think that I, all I'm saying is it's a, it's a flexible and malleable idea. This, this idea of rights and like I think you could extend that to a lot of things, like the you know corporations like Walmart who don't pay a living wage, um, you know, but yes. so you're required to work for them, but they're literally impinging on the that person's ability to provide enough food like good food and healthcare and access to resources to like raise their children you know is yeah. that really like someone who has the right to the pursuit of happiness i feel like it's getting to be a very gray area in those instances um so all i'm saying i, I think i it's an interesting argument but yeah. um okay fair let's let's uh, let's move on a little yeah, yeah, bit yeah. I, I think i would say you know just as, as a you know because a couple other ways in which i just want to throw out there uh, you know on either disagreement or, or probably disagreement with joel another point of disagreement i think with joel he says if you think america is great and we have all these problems then you're an either unrepentant ninevite or a jonah who's been skewed by culture i largely disagree with him because i think that you could substitute the word perfect for great but i think great is too, I, I think America in many ways is great. And I do love America like Joel does, but like, I think we're also working on our problems as Joel said out in the open and we're really trying to be great. And that's something that does make us great. And now just because we're great doesn't mean we shouldn't try to be great and continue to try to be great. But I think just us trying to be great makes us great. Does that make sense? And I think so you're saying many- just that's just the idea of us being great inspires us to greatness. Is, is that yeah. sort of what I'm hearing? You say? I, I think so. I, I have put a lot of tangential thought into that and I'm still a little confused. because it's hard to define what great means. So it's really more yeah, of like a but right. But you, that's what thing, I said to him. You know? Like when you hear um, like, dude, think about like, think about this. And this sounds wild. But I remember, I think I remember watching CNN, something early, not CNN, ESPN. And we were, t- and like, there was a legitimate discussion. Maybe it was in Pop Warner or something. But dude, within our lifetime, it was actually a consideration that like, maybe black people weren't smart enough to be quarterback. Like, think about that. And we have made massive leaps and bounds to think that that is like the most racist, silly thing ever. And, and uh, therefore oppressive as well. But, I remember like, people saying that when I yeah, was. Yeah, right. Like that was actually a thing. Yeah. And yeah, a thing. the fact that we've moved on from that makes is, is a great thing. And so for us to say we're not great and not even close, I don't know, man. I, it's just, I, I approach it differently than Joel on, uh, does on that. Maybe because I've had a different background, but 
you know, the fact that Joel is a, you know, basically first generation, um, you know, uh, children of um, immigrants and is running for city council and found Jesus and is a teacher like, dude, I think that's great. And I think yeah. he would think it's great, too. It's just. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, like my me personally, like I wouldn't label any country as great because it's very hard to make that objective thing. So I, I guess I agree with you in the sense that like keeping holding that idea that we are great can inspire us to greatness. I also think it can be uh, like, you know, sort of obscure the problems that we have. Yeah. And I think that's typically the role it's played more, which is why I would imagine he, he sort of made that point is because if you get, it's fine to have that belief, but if you wrap your identity and yeah. all of everything into that belief, then what happens is, is you are just, you have total blinders on. You and know, here's with a quick, quick bridge to I, idol. Well, America's great because we promote exceptionalism and very hard work. And I don't support any kind of welfare reform or any kind of, you know, um, you know, lower to middle, upper class kind of um, transition mobility assistance because dang it, hard work is what America, makes America great. And everyone else that's not, you know, uh, economically um, advantaged, you know, advantaged yeah, and I, isn't, I think isn't working hard enough. Well, okay. Like you're, you're no, you know what I mean? Like you're losing the nuance of every situation. Yeah. I think that's sort of a little bit, the point I was getting to earlier, you kind of made it a little bit more clear for me, just like that idea of like, well, if everyone's success is based on their commitment to work, then if someone is struggling, then that must mean they don't work hard. And that means that they aren't deserving of help. And I think that in and of itself is a toxic mentality that I, I think Joel and I would agree has become, I don't, I don't know, I can't speak to the, the percentages, but it's become a dominant ideology among American Christians, I think. To, to a certain degree, to a certain degree, for sure. Yeah. Take a second. Summarize that point, because I think you're probably right. I just want to chew on it in the future. Just that if you believe that everyone's level of, of success is based entirely on their ability to work hard, then that means if someone is struggling, if someone has not been able to find that success, uh, or, you know, at least to the level of the ability to you know, support themselves and their family independently, then that must mean that they could do more. So why would I help them if they could be doing even more to improve their situation, but they're just not because they're lazy or weak or what have you, you know, any number of excuses for yeah, these imagined and, people in people's and minds. And this is, this is probably a point I, I agreed with Joel, but it gets really close to where I, I, I probably disagree and would really need to clarify. And that is, the government, he said, like doesn't have the option to distinguish between people who might take advantage of it and don't. They should help everybody. They should make sure everyone has clothing, food, house, that sort of thing. Um, as an individual, though, he says, like I can not choose not to trust people. I think that makes sense so long as the government is, has wise policy and offers support and assistance that encourages good behavior. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't I don't want to fund out of the excess of my hard work someone's ability to stay at home because their welfare pro provides more than a job working down at dad's plant. See what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I, I take your point. Um, and I think, you know, that's 
that's an that's an interesting and com- uh, complicated issue for me, just because I think that that's sort of that's sort of capitalist realism, you know. This well, idea, no, that, no, no like, right? But no, we don't. I won't push you any further. But yeah, just, yeah. Let it, let it yeah, be. A no, seed that's I'll let it germinate and go tell the other socialists. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I think that that about wraps it up. We 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 need to wind down here. I, yeah, I guess one, I would just say, with one last point for for me, one thing that I really respect about Joel and think he's a hundred percent spot on about is that focusing on local issues in your neighborhood or your city is the most productive place socialists or Christians or any people who want to see their communities improved or their, their nation improved. That's what they need to be focused on. In, yeah. And I, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying Joel gave a good example of one in which that I actually think was a, a really good incentivized like support for um, local citizens. And I can't believe it was like a socialist idea, but it's just, you know, Joel's out of Joel's like love and compassion and what he's seen work, which was, Hey, yeah. Like through some lottery system, people get uh, a house, they get an op, they like an upstairs place that probably some sort of duplex that they can rent out. They have a mortgage themselves. They're giving low cost rent to someone who needs it. And you're changing families destinies in this life. And you know, the fact he's like, and why can't we do more of that is a really great question. And so, you know, you, in his one example, it's like, yeah, yeah, you give somebody something that they're in ownership of, and now they have, they're, they're stewards. And so long as we do good with making people owners of the solutions and problems, I think that's really something interesting. So um, I've, I'm, I'm supporting Joel, man, and I encourage everybody else to as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I personally can't see how giving people and families stuff like basic housing and healthcare would do anything but make them a more productive and reliable and contributive member of the community. Um, so anyways, we can leave it there. Uh, thanks for uh, talking with me, Chase. I, I, and uh, I think we were both, you know, big fans of Joel after this. So uh, if you are too, as we said before, please go to his website, check him out, put it in the show notes, but it's moreford4.com. That's M-O-R-E-F-O-R-D, the number four.com. Uh, so please do that. And if you can donate, if you can spare anything, I highly encourage you to. Other than that, Chase. Yeah, uh, you know what? Just saying that Joel got actually not only the National Democratic Socialists of America uh, endorsement, but one for the city of Boston. I think he's the only socialist running in Boston this uh, election year. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we definitely will. We'll be following uh, his campaign. So keep you updated. Um, other than that, good talking to you, man. Much All right, love. man. I love you. Love you too. But principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And uh, look forward to seeing you next time.